0: Let's talk about your journey, beginning with basically when you were born, because when you were born, your brothers were already touring around the gospel sort of scene within the local community, right?
1: That's right. Wow, you you know your stuff. Well done. <laughs> That's impressive, Brendan. Yeah, totally. Um, when I say I was born into music, I was literally born into music. We have video footage of my mom performing on stage with me in her stomach so really Um, Yeah, yeah, legit. So um, yeah, looking back on it, it's really cool. Very crazy. We as a family were asked to do a few local events, uh, my parents and some of the oldest siblings. And that just continued to start morphing into, um, you know, Western Canada, a little bit into the States. And so it, it it was a tricky set of circumstances. At times, they were um, running with seven different hockey teams at one point, um, putting the crop in the ground. And Somehow we were touring around the country. Um, so it was just a crazy, crazy life. And so yeah, I was definitely I was born into it. I remember this friend. And so going back to the, the gospel days, because I my voice hadn't changed yet through those earlier years, right. they would have the sound man, um, a piece of paper with the set list. And specifically, mark the songs that Ty's mic was supposed to be on and which songs it was supposed to be off. So <laughs> they would just turn the mic off for one, so I could just keep on singing, but we didn't have this, you know, cringy kid's voice like coming through the, through the PA system. So, yes, I, I've been doing music as long as I can remember. It's part of my DNA.
0: And when you were younger, You and your brothers, I read or heard in an interview that it was basically you did the piano so that you could play hockey. You made your mom happy by playing the piano so then she would let you go out and play hockey. Is that right?
1: <laughs> so, mom and dad had an agreement, and yeah. So, what what it was is, dad brought the the hockey side of things, and then mom brought the music side of things. They actually both came from um, musical backgrounds, but the hockey was dad's thing, the music was mom thing, mom's thing. And they made the agreement that we couldn't uh, go out and practice our hockey until our piano was practiced. That was the agreement. But I was the opposite. I couldn't um, play music until I had gone out and taken my shots on the <laughs> hockey ring. <laughs> I was, I was the reverse uh, angle for that. And so they found creative ways to bring those two worlds together. And um, yeah, it was, it was busy growing up, but uh, worthwhile. We had um, a piano upstairs and a piano downstairs. So two brothers would practice before school. Two brothers would practice after school. I was like the, 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 youngest sibling so I basically grew up an only child I was like the the old egg the leftovers so I came a little bit after and had like my own imaginative like creativity going on but (laughs) um yeah so that's that's kind of how those two worlds merged together
0: and when did you first hit the stage when did you first start performing with your brothers how old were you oh
1: I I If I wasn't singing, I was sitting on the stage just in the background making faces at people. I like there's footage of this. I should probably dig that up. Um, so like age two probably, like age one, age two, age three. And then as soon as I could start talking and walking around, they made a point of having me do the introductions. So I would introduce everybody, um, at like age four or age five, I would walk around and introduce everybody who was on stage. And so, um, yeah, as, as long as I can remember, it's obviously taken a lot of shifts and turns over the course of the years.
0: Um, with those shifts and turns, what happened when your brothers started going off for hockey? Because I know like JJ, he played in Kelowna yeah. in like 99, 2000, and you would have only been, what, seven or eight back then. So were you guys still performing when they all went their separate ways for hockey, like during the summer, or did things kind of dissipate musical-wise during that time?
1: So yeah, that's a great question. Um, the guys would go and play hockey in the wintertime come back for seeding, put the crop in the ground, and then we would do all of our touring in the summer. So basically, mom and dad would book um, all the events on the weekends in the summertime. The guys would work on the farm in between Monday to Friday or Monday to Thursday. We'd hop in the van, the old two-tone colored van, and travel BC, Alberta, Stateside, Saskatchewan, and do the festivals in the summertime every weekend. So there were very few breaks growing up. And so it just allowed for everybody to, um, you know, pursue a hockey career, but also come back and be part of the farm and the music as well. Eventually um, all of the guys to some degree, varying degrees, sustained injuries of sorts. It brought everybody back to the farm. And that is when the shift started happening where we could focus on music as, you know, not just this part-time thing in the summer, but um, more as a full-time gig.
0: And what was it like for you during those years when they had moved away? Were you really focused on music? Like, were you very much a musical kid throughout that time and wanting to make it a career and wanting to take it as far as you could?
1: Yeah, it was always my dream, 100%. I, when I was little, I was like, I want to, you know, perform on Canadian Idol. That was the thing because it was running at the time. I, um, I was just dreamt of being on stage. I would be in the back of... Um, semi trucks with um, grain and barley and lentils. And I'd be singing for the crickets and the grasshoppers pretending I was on stage. Um, so yeah, as long as I can remember, I, I begged to be in piano when I was age five, because everybody else was taking piano. And so I begged if I could um, take piano lessons as well. And that's the instrument that we all started on um, was piano. And then everybody branched off to different instruments from that point. Um, I was in a singing competition in grade six called SPS Idol, So Shahneman Public public's School idol, and uh, that was also something that I I loved being a part of. Um, and then went back to run the competition again when I was in high school for the elementary school kids, um, and then just various things, uh, theater, everything creative, um, musical, um, anything with drama, bright colors. That that was me.
0: And when it came time to branch out to other instruments, did you guys draw straws or did it just organically move to everyone picking a different instrument?
1: No, that's the crazy thing. Nobody had to arm wrestle. Nobody had to draw <laughs> draws. Everybody actually legitimately picked a different instrument. And, like, the crazy part of this whole story, too, is even in hockey, there were three forwards and two defensemen. So it was a whole lineup. <laughs> right. And then you look at the music side, and everybody, like selected a different instrument. So Luke was bass, Brock electric guitar, JJ acoustic, dusty drums. Um, I stayed on the keys and then eventually moved into the lead vocal position. Um, and then everybody, was able to sing and had different registers. So you look at Dusty who can sing up in the stratosphere. Luke has a baritone voice, Brock is in the basement. Um, JJ and I were more in kind of that midsection. So it's so crazy how um, all those pieces just kind of landed in the places that they did.
0: And what year was it when everyone started to come back to the farm after the injuries in hockey and start to come back together?
1: That's a great question. I actually don't know the specific year. It was kind of, well, it was various times uh, because Dusty uh, sustained an eye injury and so he came home. Uh, Luke actually also had an eye injury. Um, JJ had, um, he had separated his shoulder, but there was also the season with the lockout um, back when he was poised to make the NHL he played a few exhibition games with the Oilers, but then the lockout happened um, Brock had sustained a bunch of different, uh, concussions. And then I snapped my femur, not due to hockey, but, uh, still that, a big break.
0: So, was that the, uh, uh, zip line incident?
1: I was like, zipli- wow, I'm <laughs> so impressed right now. <laughs> I feel like you really know me. I don't even know why I'm answering these questions right now. It's like, you can just tell the story right now.
0: <laughs> so just quickly tell that story of your injury that basically ended your hockey career.
1: Yeah, I ended a few things for me. I, um, well, we were, <laughs> we were at a family reunion. And I guess third time's the charm because there had already been two injuries um, at this family reunion. One was a broken toe, the next one was a broken wrist. And then I decided to say, go hard or go home, I'm going to snap my femur. <laughs> so I was, it's an excuse for a zip line. Let's let's start there. It's a rickety old platform that has a table. Kids don't try this at home attached to it. And it went across a river and it was attached to the other side of the hill. And so I was up on this platform. I, I, I did this so many times growing up. So you'd think I would have been a seasoned pro by this time. (laughs) Apparently not. So I had cousins who were, you know, in the river and they're like, go tie. Like, you know, so I was standing on this rickety old platform and I swung off with full tenacity, full force, and I hit the ground. I did not make it to the water and the rope got caught in the platform which somebody is supposed to be traditionally holding so that it doesn't get hooked in the platform that's what stopped the zip line and i hit the ground snapped my femur i think it might have been a rock underneath or something um that the impact from underneath snapped it right in half luke came on the scene right away and he knew immediately it was broken um it sounded like i guess a tree branch had snapped so um, i was in shock so i didn't really uh I, I knew that I was obviously in pain and it took about 45 minutes, um, to get medical help because it was out in the middle of nowhere. Right. Um, and then they put into us, into a splint. I went in the ambulance. I didn't really have medication for the first, I don't even know, hour and a half or so um and then went into recovery and that took me out of hockey for the next year i did get to play with all of my brothers um eventually all five of us played on the same senior hockey team in shaunavan here so that was really fun because you got to have a line at times
0: and now you have uh, a bit of metal inside of you right because of that that's
1: right yeah. And I, I actually don't go off at the airports. So that was like everybody's big question. So I was kind of, I mean, kind of nervous, but kind of excited. I was like, am I going to be like the, you know, bionic man walks through and beeps at airports and nothing, nothing. <laughs> but I do have a 16 and a half inch titanium rod in my right leg. So self proclaimed Iron Man.
0: Well, you guys all made it through. So that's good. Even with your, yeah. your injuries, you made it through. So you really did. <laughs> so when was it that you, decided to move into the country because growing up you were doing gospel right so what was it and when was it when you decided to come together and say let's try and make a go of this
1: yeah yeah totally so we we had done the the gospel music circuit for and i don't even know like 20 20 years, 19 years. I could be a little bit off on that. Um, forgive my math um, <laughs> artist over here. Um, so it was, yeah, we, we did that for a lot of years and then we went through um, I can't remember actually the place that we were at, but I remember us talking about it and we just said our demographic that we were singing to was a lot older, which was great. That was awesome. Um, but we just kind of felt like we wanted to sing to, to, a wider demographic, and maybe you know, be able to sing to an audience that was closer in age to what we were, um, and so we kind of did some pivots and. Um, we were, we tried out the CCM, so Christian Contemporary Music for a period of time. Um, it was good. It just didn't quite fit our narrative as, as a whole. And so, um, like in some ways it did, but not fully. And so we were continuing to try and find our placement and eventually landed in country. Um, we had gone through a set of circumstances that, um, it was quite negative where we went, we were going to make a record or we did make a record in Nashville and, um, there, I, I can't go into too much detail with that, but um, it was a set of circumstances that was unfortunate where the record didn't fully get completed um, at the time it was supposed to. Um, we had a, a series of, of challenges and recouped that record. And at that point in time, we didn't know if we were gonna pack it in, if we were gonna keep going. And so JJ reached out to Brad Rempel from High Valley, um, touched base with him. He connected us with his producer at that time, Seth Mosley, um, who was in Nashville. And we just talked about, hey, why don't we, why don't we do a record? Let's, let's do another one. Let's, let's try this again. Um, so we did a record with, with Seth and with Brad on the production side of things. And it was a completely different experience. Um, We ended up signing with RGK and Open Road Entertainment, and then things just took off from that point. And so that was kind of the pivotal moment. And that would have been about five and a half years ago when things really started shifting where we said, let's really, um, you know, throw throw our apples in the basket and go.
0: Yeah, because it was 2015 when you signed with Open Road and you didn't actually release a song until the following year so did you already have stuff recorded that you had sent to them or how was it that you were able to connect with them and get signed before your album actually came out
1: <laughs> so funny enough we had uh, ron kitchener who is the head of the company came out to Shaunavon, saskatchewan and sat on a combine with jj and i remember seeing this i was sitting in the grain cart and like pulled up beside and and they you know dumped the grain in, in the back of the cart and i'm driving and i look back and it's these two giant dudes like over six feet sitting in this tiny little combine box and of course all of us are wondering like what are they talking about? What's going on? This is kind of nerve-wracking, but super exciting. Um, JJ said that Ron got a phone call from Corb Lund like while they were going down the field. And so it was kind of like, <laughs> really? okay, this is <laughs> this is legit, you know? And we're just a bunch of farm boys just hanging out in the middle of nowhere Saskatchewan. And so he came down to the farm and then we got off the implements, all rode back in um. In a semi, back to uh, the farmyard, and performed for Ron. Um, did a couple of songs at our parents' house. He um, listened to a couple of the tracks that we had um, done with Seth and Brad um, when we were in Nashville. So he got, you know, a couple different angles, got a a, a little bit of information on how our our life was kind of operating because it's a you know a bit of a unique story um, with the farming component. Yeah. And uh, then we ended up signing with him. Um, the contract was signed while I was on my honeymoon of all things. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, so that's why I can remember that date. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's uh, it, it, it was kind of wild how it unfolded, but cool that it was, it was an organic kind of set of circumstances.
0: Yeah, definitely. And for you, your brothers had a chance to go out experience life a bit away from home, have their hockey have that for you you were in your early 20s when you signed that contract so you hadn't necessarily had a chance to leave home and get sort of a feeling of life away from home so do you think that gives you a different perspective on things like do you ever wish that you had that time to just go out on your own and experience life
1: Oh, you are asking the good questions, Brendan. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm probably the most gypsy-hearted of all the brothers. Um, interestingly enough, like I love, I love traveling, um, and it's been. I think that's a really interesting point to think about. We're having some of those conversations right now, I feel like um, as we're kind of assessing things and and you actually just put that in, in, in a framework that is really great. I, I think, yeah, I didn't have that ag- exact experience that everybody else did to go out and play their hockey careers, which wasn't as much my thing. Let's be honest. I was there for the rink burgers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> good exercise, great team building, great experiences, thankful for it, but um, wasn't as much my thing. So I think um, on one hand, yes, I wish that I would have maybe had um, that opportunity in some capacities. On the flip side, by staying home, being able to sign that contract from a fairly young age and step into that opportunity when I did was in some ways a lot sooner than other people would have been able to. And so being um, prepared by doing all these years of performing up to that point, but then stepping into it on more of a you know, regional and then national scale, Um, it gave me a lot of exposure to opportunities quite quickly um, in the last five years. So I am very thankful for that as well. I think it just depends on what perspective you look at it from. You know, there's uh, Lizzie and I, my wife, have been talking recently about choosing your consequences. And I think that, you know, when you make choices in life, there's the pros and there's the cons. And, um, you know, you always work through sets of consequences that are different for this than for this. And so I think it's, you know, about continuing to keep that positive outlook for the experiences that you've had and continuing to press in and work towards ultimately where you want to be heading. And so that's a continuous conversation as there are five people in, in the band. Um, and we're all brothers we range in age from 28 to 40 that's a huge gap Um, you know and us having um, families and and young ones running around that's a constant um, balance of communication where we're needing to work through what that looks like moving forward and so that's really you know we're continuously in that season as it as it changes and now with COVID it's you know it's given another (laughs) another chance to reassess and figure out okay what's what's going to happen moving forward
0: so let's talk about 2017 a bit. You released the album. What was that release like for you guys and finally having that out, especially when you talk about that album that didn't get released and that that negative experience you had? What was it like to finally release that album and have such positivity around it right away?
1: It was really... It was incredible, but it was also one of those experiences where you just didn't know where it was going to land. Like, is this going to stick? Um, you know, I, I think there were a lot of components. We were, we were pretty heavily influenced by groups like Rascal Flats that we all loved, it had more of that uh, three-part harmony-driven um, country sound. Um, and so you can hear a lot of different harmony components. That's been a huge part of who we are as, as, um, as the Hunter Brothers. Um, And I remember being down at CRS Week, so Country Radio Seminar in the States in Nashville, and that was right around the time that we had released El Dorado to Country Radio. In fact, we were down there when we found out that um, the first station in Canada had added that song. Um, And I remember that being a very surreal moment. We went in and performed for um, a lot of the radio personnel who was representing uh, Canadian radio in a room and uh, met the faces of some of the people who had added the song already to radio. We hadn't heard it yet on the radio waves, but um, we were immersed in this culture of people who you know, are really responsible now for our career being able to lift off. And so it was a, there was a lot of energy in the room that day. Um, But even just hearing about the fact that it had been added to a station was huge. It was just like, this is incredible. Like people are actually taking us seriously, you know, as a, as a potential national act here. Um, and so I think it's, it's very humbling, um, especially given the sets of circumstances, like I said before, um, that lead up to that point. Cause you put a lot of time and a lot of energy into it and, Um, it's a huge payoff when you hear your song playing, um, on the radio or, you know, things that you've dreamt of for years. Um, the bigger thing is just that your, your music is resonating with people. The fact that it's impacting lives, um, you know, however people are listening to it, um, that's the most rewarding thing is getting messages from people saying how your music is helping them through whatever set of circumstances, whether that's just, um, they needed a mood boost that day or, you know, right down to the fact that, you know, I'm struggling with mental health and this is helping me get through it you know, every, every end of the spectrum music is so healing. And so that's the huge rewarding part is that people are connecting with it.
0: And so heading into recording, writing state of mind, the fact that getaway was successful, did that put extra pressure then going into the sophomore album and realizing that, oh, people are going to be watching, people are going to be listening when we release this album? Or did that make it easier in a sense because you knew that people were going to be there, fans were going to be there when you released it?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things where it it charges you up to um, try and put your next foot forward and your best foot forward and um, you know, take it to the next level. Um, That record was put together very quickly we were kind of contemplating are we going to do a whole record at this point are we just going to you know do a few songs we're like nope we're hunters let's get it done (laughs) and so we just (laughs) we plowed through it and and got it done in a pretty short time frame um and yeah obviously there's always that level of you know pressure um we were coming off of born and raised and those were the nights um which were both top 10 at country radio in Canada and it seemed like we had Maybe started hitting the, the stride of, you know, what people were connecting with and resonating with in terms of our story. Um, Born and Raised was a definite pivotal moment. Um, and then we released Lost off of State of Mind. And we were touring with Paul Brandt, High Valley, and Jess Moss at the time that that song was at Country Radio. And we released State of Mind um, right when we started the tour. So the timing just all ended up being perfect. Um, it's like, all just kind of came together at the right, at the right time. And then Lost ended up being our first number one song at Country Radio. So that was very, very, very humbling. Um, and it was such a unique experience being able to tour and open, with that song, that was the first song of the concert um, of the Journey tour, and so those moments are pretty special to look back on. Um, but I think the bigger thing is that as you, as you walk through this process, it's again who are you resonating with and, and how it's connecting your story to other people's stories. And that's really the rewarding part. Cause we've talked about it, you know, the chart positions, the streams and everything. Like it's really cool to see those things and those statistics, but the big factor is the, the connection with people and that you're able to be authentic to who you are and that people resonate with that and that it impacts people's lives. Um, that's the bigger thing, because you can get so caught up in, oh, I want to make sure that this is better than, the, you know, it's like, well, at the end of the day, this might be a chapter of life that's going to look different from this chapter. And I think that music is, you know, about authenticity. So,
0: right. And you talk about that. And I wanted to talk about early 2020, you went down to Nashville to write, and you've released Hard Dirt. And then just wanted you to know, you released those two songs from that writing session. And I heard you talk about the fact that that writing session, you were trying to write maybe more meaningful songs than you had in the past, deeper songs. So are there more songs from that trip that that you still have to release?
1: Um, actually, yes, there are tracks that are going to be released, um, from that writing trip on our project coming up, which is coming very soon. Um, we're very excited about that. We're actually getting a lot of our, <laughs> we're trying to hit a lot of our deadlines this week, actually. Oh, as okay. we, um, so that's really exciting. Um, I would say that 2020 was really a year of sentiment. If I could kind of chalk it up to a word, just with it being as challenging of a year as it was. Um, we were in Nashville in February of 2020. And we were pretty confident that Hard Dirt was going to be the next single. And we were able to just orchestrate some details to be able to record it before we headed home. We had no idea what was around the corner. Right On our last day of being in Nashville, our last write is when Just Wanted You to Know happened. And that the story, I'll tell that really quick. So that probably was one of the coolest experiences for us as brothers, because JJ, unbeknown to me, was plucking something on his guitar before bed one night. And I, I didn't know this. And 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 the night before we went into the right, I had this moment where I was laying in bed and my wife asked me, she's like, are you doing okay? And I was like, I, something's off. I don't know what's going on. Um, and so I flipped over, I opened up my phone and I wrote a whole song front to back in like five minutes. Oh, wow. I closed my phone, and I went to bed and it was like the burden just kind of like lifted off of my heart, whatever was going on at the time. I opened my phone the next morning and read it front to back, and it was all coherent, which I didn't know (laughs) that was going to be the case at 11 o'clock at night the next morning. Everything rhymed, everything made sense, and um, this phrase, just wanted you to know, um, was, it was just there. Um, and it, I was clearly, there was somebody that I was burdened for um, that night. So I guess you could maybe say it was like an empathy thing. Um, and so I brought that exact um, set of words and lyrics into the right that day. And we were writing with Victoria Banks and Robin Collins, two people who we really, really respect um, in uh, the writing circles. And I, I showed it to them and, and Victoria just started crying immediately. And I knew that there was just a real connection, something was happening. And JJ was like, oh, I was just playing this, you know, um, lick the other day. And then Dusty started humming the melody of the, of the chorus. And we started reworking the lyrics to make it about not only the person who was hurting for someone else, but also the person going through a set of, uh, you know, ill circumstances. And the, the right just came together in a way that I can't explain. So fast forward we get home a couple days later, Victoria posts on Facebook that her house has been hit by a tree um, from a tornado and walked through a whole set of circumstances that were very challenging. and I remember hearing that listening back to this voice memo that we had just finished writing a few days before that and just feeling just feeling that for her and it was just one of those powerful moments where you you recognized um, you know just what music can really do and what it can represent. And then Hard Dirt was already decided as being the next single. So um, that song is all about struggle and coming through it um, with hope and more resilience on the other side. And so those two songs that we released over the course of the year, Hard Dirt was the single and Just Wanted You to Know was a content piece, um, just really paired with um, just I think the climate and what people were probably feeling um, and just wanted you to know. We, we talked about it, um, you know, we were just... Discussing like I really think we need to put this out. We really think that this uh, needs to go out there We didn't really know how exactly at the time that things were unfolding and that's probably been One of the songs as um, I've managed our social media social media accounts I've seen more probably messages come in about that song than almost any song and so I'm just very thankful for the experience and how it unfolded
0: and you talk about Victoria's story you had that in the hard dirt video Talk about that video and what that means to you and how important it was to do something different because you really could have just shown you and your brothers out on the field. Like that would have been the easy thing to do right with that video. (laughs) That's
1: the low hanging fruit. Yeah, exactly. So
0: why (laughs) did you not want to pluck that fruit? and, And why did you kind of want to go through the struggles of finding a different way to tell that story of the song?
1: yeah i just remember how we were feeling and it was like this this season of music like this just this really isn't about you know us putting on this show right now it just felt like this is a season that we need to empathize um with each other and build community more than ever before and you know we're still in that in in a lot of those circumstances today as we look towards rebuilding and continuing to try and work through everything and so at that point in time I think it was just so important to represent people's stories, um, you know, that resembled hardship. And I actually just did a post about this um, uh, the other day, because Hard Dirt, um, it won video of the year at the Saskatchewan Country Music Awards just on Saturday. Um, oh, that was a very awesome. humbling moment. Um, and so I actually just did a post about this and um, just recalled the set of events that um, led us to doing that as the video treatment. We talked about this treatment as brothers. I don't even know like how many conversations we poured over this video, I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it and was contemplating and bounced back around tons of different ideas. And I was sitting with one of my best friends, his name is Andrew, or are sitting in a half ton at the farm. And I remember just being at the point where I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do for, for this video. Um, and uh, I remember actually distinctly, we just had a, a time of just praying and asking that God would show us what we needed to, to put in this video. And it was that night that um, I got my answer. Um, Andrew said something um, that made me think of a very close friend of mine, his name is Larry Hughes, um, and immediately I knew that his story needed to represent this video. Larry um, lost his wife, his daughter-in-law, and unborn grandchild in a head-on car collision um, a couple years ago, and his son Um, it was his son's wife and unborn child um, that had passed away. And um, they were close friends of Lizzie's and mine. And we had actually spent time with them the night before the accident had happened. And so it was one of the most raw experiences that we as a family had gone through. And I just immediately went to Larry and said, Hey, would you be okay with sharing your story with being vulnerable? I think that this would really Um, impact a lot of people and he's like funny you said that because some people just actually came and talked to me about sharing my story and I said well here's the perfect opportunity to put it out there for a lot of people to hear and um, that was the starting point Victoria was the next point um, after writing. Just wanted you to know, I was like, this story needs to be represented. We had a couple more stories, it just continued evolving and it came together as this um, cohesive package of four stories in the video itself. And then we went into further detail um, uh, with each of the stories. And I remember sitting and listening to Larry's story from front to back and just, you know, listening to through tear-stained eyes and him reliving the process, it was a very healing thing to be a part of, to watch him process. And then putting that video back, getting messages from his family of people just saying, this, is, this has been healing for our family. And um, that's hopefully resonated with people out there. We wanted to represent different forms of hardship um, so that people could connect um, with the stories and, and hopefully it allowed further to be healing and ultimately just um, people being able to say we'll get through this and there's hope on the other side of the struggle. So that's really a special and monumental moment um, for me personally, but for all of us, the, the hard dirt era is something that we won't forget and we've never performed that song live um, on stage yet. So I think when we actually get to do that on the flip side and and watch people sing along and hear people's stories come from those moments shared on stage, it's going to be a whole new experience.
0: And now the new single, Been a Minute, this is a special one too, right? Because you did it with Hunter Hayes and that was something special for you because that is a meeting that you had sort of put into the universe like five years earlier <laughs> in a journal right
1: wow yeah uh again very impressed um yes i actually did put it into a journal um and it was it was like hunter hayes was just meant to be part of the story at some point a because of his name i mean you can't have like hunter (laughs) hayes and the hunter brothers not at some at some point there be an intersection we have a group chat now called all the hunters um and so yeah I don't know how far to back up here um, my wife um, doesn't she's not a huge country music fan um, I'll be honest with that um, it's just not it wasn't her number one style but um, I remember that when I first met her she she was doing photography and if you went on to her photography site um, the only artist that she placed in her biography was Hunter Hayes and how much, oh, really like, she coming out to Hunter Hayes yeah so he was <laughs> one of the country artists that she really liked And I, um, um, tattoo was kind of our, our song after I asked her out, I remember listening all the way from Airdrie back to Seanovan, Saskatchewan playing tattoo over and over and over again. So it's, it's ironic. That's like tattooed on my mind, that memory. Um, and just Hunter Hayes playing a part in like my, my relationship in a sense. And I, I didn't even maybe fully remember a lot of these, well, a lot of the journal entries, I, but it'd probably be scary to go back and look at some of the things I wrote <laughs> in the past. But this particular day, I was looking back and there was a memory from like five years ago that I was reading the other day. And it said... How much that I wanted to, um, you know, be part of the music industry and um, be involved with artists like number one, Hunter Hayes was the first person that I list. There's other people in that list that I haven't met yet, so I'm hoping right. that <laughs> I'm hoping that this is just a continuation. Um, and so that was super cool. Like, be careful what you wish for, but this was a good thing that I was that I wished for, and it came true. <laughs> And so all these pieces kind of coming together and then us actually having the opportunity to work with him, Um, you know, I think it was Brock one day that said, I wonder if like Hunter Hayes, if that would work out, you know, Brad's on the same record label, Warner, and just through a few different exchanges, it worked out. We went to his place and nobody has been so intentional, um, as Hunter was sitting all of us down and listening to all five of us before we jumped into the writing sessions that we were about to go into and seeing exactly where all five of us were coming from and how to culminate that together. He was so intentional. And, um, I, uh, I actually, my, my, my second child, Charlotte was born a few days before that writing trip. So I had to cut that writing trip short and head back <laughs> home so I could be with my family. We tried to apply for a passport within like the first week of her, we're crazy. Um, the first <laughs> week of her, um, existence on this planet, oh, and okay. it, didn't, it didn't quite work out. Um, so I flew home early, but um, the relationship with Hunter has just continued forward. Since that point we've written together, we've um, done recordings together, been a minute. Um, we recorded from our studio here in Shonovan, which is out on the farm. It's an old mechanic shop that we converted into a studio space. Oh, okay. We knew it was going to be used, but we didn't know it was going to be used as much as it's been used this last year. <laughs> um, we're in there almost every day. And so we did it. um, You know, Hunter was in his space, we were in ours, and we corresponded um, over audio movers and. Um, he had me, I kid you not, Brandon, I was laying on my back at one point on a sofa singing this song, um, which I've never done before. <laughs> Those are the stories that you hear about in like interviews. And, and, and then when you actually get there, you're like, I'm laying on a sofa right now. Uh, this is crazy. And, um, so did that for a period of time. And then I got up and I remember just letting loose and performing, it was like all of the energy from the last year of not doing a show <laughs> went directly into the microphone. And I think a lot of those elements actually ended up getting utilized in the in the version of the recording. And so that's a really, really special story. And um, Been A Minute, the lyric itself even, you know, um, that's a phrase that everybody seems to talk about wherever you go, like, it's been a minute, you know? And yeah. I'm like, that has never held so much relevance as right now, because it's been a minute since we've all been able to experience so many things that we're missing, you know.
0: And after hard dirt and just wanted you to know that we're more on the hardship side of things, did you guys know that you wanted to come back with something a little more upbeat?
1: 100%. Yeah, that was that's what we were feeling. We're like 2020 was a year of sentiment. It was really important um, to live through those emotions to um, put them out into the world for people to share and connect with. But then moving into 2021, we were just talking about it as brothers We're like, we we feel like we need something bright and fun and up tempo, and just give people that experience for two and a half minutes to Um, you know, just really be in the moment and, and, you know, just take a hiatus from everything that's going on and, and also just dream about the future. It's not that it doesn't have a message. It's just very simple and saying that, like, you know, you know, it's been a minute, but, um, you know, it's going to be amazing when we get to experience these things again, it's going to be, you know, something that we've probably never experienced before the emotion of that, because this type of thing hasn't happened um, in uh, at least for me, like my generation, we haven't walked through something like this before. So the flip side of this, i looking forward to those days once again.
0: And you have a lot of great stories of sort of that full circle, like with Hunter Hayes and, you know, talking about it five years ago in your journal and then it coming true. And I just wanted to tell you one story because of that. I was looking through your social media and you posted something in May of last year about the night that you recorded. Those were the nights. And that was the night that your wife went into labor. And a funny thing about that is I was listening to your music as I was doing the research. And just oddly enough, as I was reading those posts, I kind of clicked into the music and those were the nights was playing. It was no. a song play. I was looking <laughs> at that post. And I just that's thought that was incredible. the craziest thing. So I just, I wanted to ask you about that story and just get you to tell that story about that night.
1: That's amazing. Well, that's super <laughs> cool. Thanks for sharing that. More yeah. full, circle, full circle moments. I love those. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. So that um, <laughs> I guess there's been two very unique experiences around my, my kids being bored because it's happened yeah. both times. So there's been a story um, <laughs> that just kind of clicked with me. Um, so thanks for that. Yeah. Um, we didn't travel down to Nashville um, because Lizzie was, um, she was pregnant with our first. Um, so when we were going to be recording Those Were the Nights and Born and Raised, those two songs um, were going to happen at the same kind of uh, time in terms of recording. And so we stayed here and we um, actually flew our producer or our engineer up from Nashville to be here. And we recorded them in JJ's basement. We set up like this pretty sketchy vocal booth. Like you're <laughs> in his guest bedroom and there were blankets from who knows where and when hanging nice. around us. We created this little vocal booth. Um, we, we did Born and Raised which again is hilarious that that happened like the night before my wife went into labor. Um, so <laughs> we, we recorded born and raised, finished it up. Um, I went upstairs. Lizzie was waiting upstairs because just in case the the baby came, we just wanted to be close by each other. Um, and JJ, JJ comes up to me and he's like, so are we going to do those were the nights tonight? or Are we going to do that tomorrow? I was like, look, if we don't do that right now, like, I don't think that it's probably going to happen. So I think we need to record it now. Right. So, we hop on the mic, uh, record. Those were the nights, and it's a good thing we did because, sure enough, baby decided to um, decided to come very shortly after that. And so, um, yeah, we we had quite the experience with our firstborn. We ended up um, being up at the NICU in um, Saskatoon um, due to a number of uh, just unfortunate circumstances. But um, I remember getting home after. Um, And then that's when Lizzie and I sat in the vehicle and listened to that song play. And I just remember it was like waterworks immediately from her because um, just thinking back on the experience and everything, it was pretty emotional. So um, yeah, music has a powerful way.
0: That's for sure. And just talk about what's next. Do you guys have an album that you are working on at the moment?
1: Yes, I can say that we, we, we have an album that we're working on Uh been a minute will be part of that project. And it's looking like the summer is when that's going to be um, arriving. So I can't drop any dates as of yet, but I can <laughs> say that we do have a project coming out and we're, we're very excited about it.
0: Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's been so great having the chance to sit down and talk with you and learn about your story.
1: Likewise, no, thank you so much, Brendan. I appreciate the intentionality and the authenticity, and and your homework, like <laughs> A plus, A plus for that, my friend. Because I don't think I've ever come into an interview where I'm like you're telling me details of my story that I didn't even remember. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. when happen. I love it. I absolutely love it. That is my goal. So I'm that's, awesome.
1: that's awesome. awesome. I love the passion. I love seeing when people are, you know, doing what they love doing. So thanks for doing what you do and for um, continuing to present people's stories and, and uh, we really appreciate you and all that you're doing.
0: For sure. Thank you so much. And we'll look forward to the new album.
1: Definitely. Thanks so much.